we'll continue this morning our series in Daniel. And I want to start this morning our message just by telling you a story which you probably have heard before of a young man who grew up in a situation of great privilege. He may even have been part of the aristocracy. He, uh, some reports suggest that he became uh, caught up in the Crusades, a soldier within the Crusades, but left the Crusades after becoming disillusioned by what was going on, only to return home expecting to take up his position of privilege again, but to find that his home, uh, his home estate and all that belonged to him had been stolen by somebody else, somebody more powerful, and he couldn't get it back. And so because of this, he ended up in exile. He was taken or unable to live at home, and he had to live as an outcast within his own homeland. He was cast away from his home. And his own experience of injustice led him to become passionate, opened his eyes to the situation of others around him who were suffering injustice. He could see that the poor were getting poorer, the rich were getting richer. And the rhetoric that had been preached and spoken about in the Crusades didn't seem to connect with what was going on at home. Eventually, he made a decision, along with a group of people around him, to embrace exile and to begin to live differently in a community. And they sort of lived outside of the city in another environment. Banding together, doing what they could to enact their mission. Who was this person? St. Francis of Assisi, perhaps. Some other saint. No, it was your very own Robin Hood. I do thank George for that illustration. I tell you this story or remind you of uh, some, I've mean, taken a little bit of license with some of the details, but who knows what the details are anyway? Just say what you want about Robin. Uh, But I say this because actually there's a huge amount of resonance and crossover with the story that we began to tell last week about Daniel. This young man who together with his friends, his band of merry men, ends up in a situation outside of his comfort zone, outside of his homeland. Daniel, like Robin, grew up in nobility. He was somebody who had tremendous privilege or was used to tremendous privilege and yet had to learn how to live outside of his comfort zone, outside of his homeland. And developed a passion about living a particular mission in a particular place. Not just, a, not just to survive, not a vision just to survive in a place, but in fact to thrive in a place. And last week what I tried to say, and uh, if you didn't get it, hopefully this week and over the coming weeks you'll understand what it is I'm getting at. What I tried to say last week or introduce is the idea that we are today... If we're at all serious about following Jesus and living the message of Jesus today, we are, like Daniel, in exile. And we need to learn, we better get serious as soon as possible about what it means to live in exile, to live as strangers and outcasts and foreigners in this culture today. And unless we wake up to that, we're actually going to be ineffective as a church in living the way of Jesus today. And we, we, we don't need to be afraid of that. That's what I tried to say. It's not a bad thing. It's, it's just a thing. And we need to learn to cotton onto it because there's actually tremendous opportunity. I feel more hopeful about the future of the church than ever before. 
And I think God is profoundly hopeful about his church. But we actually have to wake up to this reality or we won't be able to live within it. We won't be equipped to thrive within it. So we're going to look at Daniel over these next few weeks, as I said, a certain number of weeks. Uh, because we can learn a lot from him and from his friends. And today, uh, as Nay has said, we begin to see Daniel in this new environment, reading from verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. So what we see here is Daniel and his friends, like Robin Hood, Uh, learning to live outside of home, outside of their comfort zone. They're taken off far away to a place called Babylon. And I'm not going to sketch any of the sort of minute detail about Babylon, but what you really need to understand is that in the Bible, Babylon is the B word. It's used as a swear word basically throughout the scriptures. Babylon is a place that is immensely hostile To anybody who's trying to live in accordance with the way of Yahweh, the way of the Lord, the way of God, Babylon is is absolutely the last place that you'd want to live if you were trying to obey God. You might go there on a stag do for a weekend uh, if you could afford the flights, but you certainly wouldn't go there if you wanted to follow God. It's not the kind of place hostile to the values and practices of God. And Daniel and his friends, they find themselves in Babylon actually as a result of, you could say, the favor of God upon them, the way that life has worked out for them, as I said there, from the nobility. But actually, we find out some of the details. Uh, they were young men without any, f- any physical defect. Just shut your eyes now. Imagine. Are you imagining George? Imagine a young man without any physical defect. All right, stop now imagining a young man without any physical defect. Handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning. So they're intelligent, they're well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. So what, what sort of sets these young men apart is their Essentially, their physical and intellectual aptitude, almost perfection. They have given, they've been given every head start you could possibly want in life, and that's the reason that they've been selected. And the process for which they have been selected is one of assimilation. Assimilation, not simulation, assimilation. If you don't know what that word is, I'm about to define it. But what happened in Babylon and with the empire of Babylon is that they would go to the furthest reaches of the empire, selecting the best of the best. The best of the best from every part of the empire. And they'd bring them back into the central hub of the empire, Babylon itself, and train them. And this would, have a couple of, uh, this would have a couple of advantages for the, for the empire. Firstly, you would gather in all the talent, all the talent into one place, strengthening the core, but you'd also weaken your opposition. Actually, businesses do this, don't they? They go talent spotting, they go poaching for the best talent from other businesses, thereby strengthening their teams and weakening uh, their, the opposition. Lord, may Man City do this in the next transfer window. 
That's what we're all praying here this morning. Assimilation, though, uh, is the process of becoming similar to something. Assimilation, you could say. It's the process of becoming similar to something. We talk about assimilating knowledge. If, you've, uh, if you're studying medicine in the first year, for example, uh, it's time, it is time right now to start assimilating some knowledge. It is, it is beyond time. Assimilating knowledge is about taking it in, ingesting it, absorbing it so it becomes your own. We talk about assimilating food as eating it, eating it, ingesting it, absorbing it, digesting it so you can use it as energy. Or we talk about sometimes assimilating people, people assimilating into a culture. It means they become absorbed into it. They become part of the culture. The culture becomes part of them. And that's what's going on here. Daniel and these brothers of his are being absorbed. That's, that's at least the intention that they'd be absorbed. Fully integrated into the culture. But when you've moved from a culture like the culture of Judah, of Israel, to the, to the culture of Babylon, it's going to take a, a while to be assimilated. There's a whole number of things you'd have to forget so that you could learn a whole new set of things. And so there was a rigorous experience that had to take place in order for that assimilation to happen. Let's look at a few of these steps. The first was a new environment. We're told here that these uh, young men were taken into the king's palace. The king's palace. The king's palace was a new environment for them. It was, it was not a home away from home. There would have been different customs, probably different styles of dress, different ways of addressing different people. The whole culture and environment of that place would have felt foreign to them. Even just through stepping through the doors, they would have understood themselves to be in exile. But in terms of Babylon's aims and intent, that was the very best place to be assimilated. The belly of the beast. The core of the culture. A new environment for them. Uh, there was new language and new literature. Uh, the traditional language of Babel, Babylon was Akkadian. It was an incredibly complex language, so I'm told, to learn. It would have required serious study over a number of years. And, and rather than leaving Daniel and his friends to sort of carry on speaking their own language, they had to learn a new language. And there was new literature, and the literature would have told a different story about the world, a different story about reality. And they had to learn that. They had to learn all that stuff as well. You know, it'd be the same as if you moved, let's say, to America, and you had to take up a residency test. Actually, the same thing happens here. Some of you who have moved from different places, and you've got your citizenship here, you have to answer you have to go for an interview, don't you? And you answer questions. And I guarantee you, every one of those questions you've answered, none of those who were born here know the answers to. When was the Magna Carta written and acted? I don't know what even happened with it. When was it? I've got no idea, but you probably had to learn it. New language, new literature, all to sort of get you absorbed in to this culture. There was also a new diet Different food, there were rations from the king's table. Now, don't want you to imagine sort of that you would feast with the king every night. To, to be um, supported by the king's table is a bit like saying that you were supported by the state. 
But the point was you didn't choose what you ate. You know, it was no more eating kosher. It was like you got what you were given. A new diet, a, a new immersive educational experience. Training would have included language, literature, as we've seen, but as well as music, mathematics. You had to learn it, the, the whole syllabus, top to bottom. And finally, and this is, I think, the most significant of all of the details that we read in these verses. New names. New names. What does your name mean to you? Think about it. Think about a, a, somebody who loves you who's got a, a, a pet name for you. you know, maybe only they use it or people in your family. What does that mean to you? What does it speak to you? It says something about who you are, doesn't it? The, at the core of you, who you are. Your identity, a sense of belonging and place and, and personhood. It's so precious. Names matter. That's why when we see Jesus renaming people, it's significant, isn't it? He's saying something about who they are and what they're for. Names sort of mean significance. They talk about value and identity. And here what we see is these men are being renamed. This is the process of forgetting. Forget your past. It's dead and gone. You need a new name, a shift in identity. It's like saying you belong here now and we own you. We own you. Somebody, a scholar said, to change someone's name is to exercise authority over them and their destiny. It's not just about your past now, it's about your future. Since assimilation was ostensibly one of the objectives of the whole procedure in which Daniel was involved, a Babylonian name would be appropriate. It's like death to the past. We own your future. And after all of this process had happened, then they were thought to have assimilated. Does this sound like everything, anything you may have heard of? A three-year process where you move somewhere new, you enter into a new environment, you, you learn new language, maybe even you read some new literature, you take on a new diet, certainly a lot more drinking going on, uh, a new immersive education experience, new names. This is what we do to people at university, isn't it? We stick them in a new environment, and, and, and that's part of what's going on. It's a, an immersive experience that shifts and shapes identity so much so that when these children return home, their parents are thinking, who's that? Who's that? Transformation happens in these immersive environments. Or maybe you've experienced this in a new workplace, a new friendship circle. You begin to behave and act differently because of this new environment. What I'm trying to say actually across this series, what I think we read in Daniel is that all of us live in an environment like this all the time. Our environment, the environment of exile is shaping us. We are always in every moment being formed by the environment we inhabit. That's not a good or a bad thing, it's just a fact. There will be good and bad things about that. But unless we're aware of that, we are, we're not going to have any influence in that environment and what it means to be formed by it. 
And the environment we live in, in the 21st century, certainly in Western digital culture, is more powerfully formative than perhaps any environment in history. In fact, Tim Keller, in his recent book, How to Reach the West, makes this point. Quote him now. He says, the amount of time we spend on our phones in a day, filling out church surveys and similar things. The number of images and videos and repetitive slogans we see makes the most immersive set of practices ever. It engages the imagination with narratives, with stories. It makes the influence and consumption of TV, already a concern a generation ago, look tiny by comparison. Those consuming digital content are being deeply catechized. That word just means instructed or taught for more, far more hours a week and far more effectively than anything the church is doing. It would not be going too far to call it a brainwashing of the purportedly benign type seen in George Orwell's 1984. The point Tim Keller's making is that we live in an environment which is rich in formational power. And if you're on the internet, which you are, <laughs> because you can't live without being on it, that we're actually being shaped more powerfully in our own hands. Sometimes the first thing we see in the morning and the last thing we see at night, this is real for us. How are we going to counteract such vast formational power? Well, listen, well, we're going to look at that actually over the next month or so, but listen to what we begin to see happening in Daniel. Verse 8, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Daniel and his friends make a tremendously bold and courageous decision not to become defiled by the food from the king's table. And it's a decision not to be taken up by the culture, not, not to be uh, overcome. And it's a simple decision. There is an incredibly simple strategy at the heart of it, and that is to refuse the food that came from the king's table. Now, some have said, some people say that this is about meat. Daniel doesn't want to eat meat, but there's actually no... Uh, Clear instruction here that what was going from the king's table would have been meat. It isn't about, I don't think that what's going on here is about the source, sorry, is about the substance of the food. It is all about the source of the food. It's where it came from. It's the fact that it comes from the king's table. That's what Daniel is refusing. And sharing food with the king would have meant taking allegiance to the king. So what Daniel and his friends are resisting here is the whole program of assimilation. What I'm saying is if we, the church today, want to learn how to live in exile, we've fundamentally got to have made that decision that we're not going to be assimilated into our culture. That does not mean, as we'll see in the, the next couple of weeks, that does not mean withdrawing entirely from the culture as if that's possible, going to live as the Amish do, in uh, places out. So we're going to live in Sherwood Forest together, perhaps, George. <laughs> we, we don't have to do that. 
could do all kinds of nice bike rides and other things, couldn't we? But that's not what it's about. It's not about withdrawal, but we have to learn ways to engage with culture where we're able to resist assimilation. And for Daniel, what we see is at the heart of the success in doing that was a simple decision, a small stand, a decision not to defile himself. And this simple decision sets in motion a whole series of conversations, actions, and reactions that cause a profound disturbance in the whole system around Daniel. His presence in the empire is like a depth charge. It's like a stick of TNT in the middle of it, just because of a simple decision. And as a direct result of these simple decisions, God uses Daniel and his friends as a powerful tool in the midst of a hostile culture. And Daniel influences the king himself, bringing glory to God in the process. Church, we live in a world at least as hostile to following Jesus as Babylon. If you don't see that, then it is possible You don't understand what it means to really follow Jesus. If this world, if this culture feels comfortable, then God, I believe, would call you, he would call me, he would call us into a different way of living within it. If this world, as the saints would say, if this world feels to us like home, We haven't yet seen a vision of our true home. Our imaginations are under pressure every day. Like Daniel, the environment, the language, the literature, the diet, education, entertainment are all designed to colonize our imagination. To make us think that we belong in a world like this one. But we don't. We belong in the kingdom of God, where righteousness and justice and mercy and peace will reign forever, when Jesus will be proclaimed as Lord to the glory of God the Father. What would it look like to be a community, not a single man or woman? I resist, actually, the individualizing of this Response, But what would it look like to be a community who resisted the encroaching power of the king's table? Who refused to eat simply what is handed to them by the powers on high, whether they be in Babylon, Westminster, Wuhan, Washington, or Silicon Valley. But who chose instead to eat with the one who prepares a table for them in the presence of their enemies. What Daniel shows us here is that this kind of life is available, it is possible, and it begins, and it must begin with real decisions, simple decisions, simple actions. Daniel resolved. He resolved. He decided. Decisions make a difference. Your decisions make a difference. Our decisions make a difference. A decision to live with extraordinary compassion makes a difference. A decision to embody holiness makes a difference. What will you resolve to do in exile?
Let me put it a different way. Where is the king's table for you? Where have you been eating, feasting, that maybe you need to refuse the food of? Is it a relationship, a, a habit, a way of spending time? Is it a friendship circle? Is it social media? I don't know. The Holy Spirit does. But what is it? Where is it? Maybe, it's, maybe there's another place, a better place to feast for you. I close with one final quote. Lee Beach said, while knowing exactly what to do in each circumstance can be difficult at times. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Deciding that we will ultimately choose to live in obedience to God is an orientation with which we are called to live in exile. We don't necessarily get to say here on Sunday morning what we're going to do in every single moment of every single part of our day. But we can resolve this morning that come what may, we'll choose his way. Have you made that decision? If not, will you make that decision today? Let's pray.